Welcome to River's Edge Church Podcast. Each week we strive to bring you biblically accurate, exegetical preaching of God's Word so that you might belong, believe, and become like Christ. We hope that you will find this week's message beneficial in your walk with Christ. So let's talk about a little bit about where we've been at. So we've been exploring Exodus, we've been exploring the life and times of Moses. Um, for those of you who've not been here, um, the last few weeks, we've really been stuck in the same place. We've been at Mount Horeb, or what's also known as Mount Sinai, the God's mountain, right? And um, what we've seen over and over again is God's won his patience in our faithlessness, okay? Um, not faithfulness, faithlessness, okay? God is just patient with these stubborn, hard-headed humans that he has made, um, in particular Moses. And so we've seen this. We've seen God's power in our weakness. Um, over and over, Moses would be like, oh, man, I can't do this. And God's like, well, you don't have to worry about that because I can do it. In fact, last week, we talked about the three miracles that God did and how he used, of all the things, he used the thing that was already in Moses' hand. He didn't say, hey, you got to go get this new thing. You know, you need a new shiny staff, you know, like you need to find you a cool stick out in the desert, not the one that you're walking around with regularly. He's like, what you got in your hand right there will be just good. And then we talked about provision in our poverty, right? Um, just the fact that God was going to use us just as we are. Like we don't, he's going to heighten all those places. He's going to work in such a way that we can't take any claim for it, right? Uh, one of the most interesting things that um, someone challenged me to think about is like when we think about the gifts of the Spirit, right? And, and this idea that God in, in, in endows us with these gifts is that they're not the same gifts we can do before we had the Spirit, Right? Like, I always thought that's what it was. Like, oh, well, I'm good at this, but I've always been good at this. Like, these are the things that I'm good at. What I've found is, is God is much more at work in the places where I suck at. It's just an honest, God honest, the things that I don't like and I'm not good at, God's like, but you need to do this. And you need to trust that I'm going to help you be good at this. Um, and you're going to trust that I'm going to work even though you are terrible at this. And it's like, man, like, you couldn't have used something I'm good at. Like, I like to lift heavy stuff. You couldn't have done that for something? Like... We could have done that. No. I want you to do other things. And so there's, there's this reality that God is constantly moving. He's moving in ways that only God can move. And so this week we're going to explore something that's it's under the surface. So I'm going to help you see it. But it's God's grace and his provision. Even when we are like, we don't deserve it. But more importantly, we, like, we don't even want it. We're pushing him away. We're actively running from him. So we're going to look at our scripture. If you want to go ahead and turn there, it's Exodus 4. 10 through 20, and that's where we're at today. And we're still in the mountain. We're, we're still at the base. God's still having a conversation with Moses. He's still not convinced, and that's where we're going to pick up today. There are some pretty awesome statements in the Bible, and one of the greatest statements in the Bible is when you see but God, right? Like, I don't know if you've ever heard a whole, there's been people, who's like a whole sermon series on just the times where the Bible says, but God, you know, like, Soon we'll be at a place where the Egyptians are going to be pinned up against the sea, and then in that statement it's going to go, but God split the sea. What you don't want to see, one of the most just disheartening and sad and um, just disappointing statements is, but, and then someone else. And in this case, this is what we see, but Moses. It doesn't have the same ring, right? And, and that's what we see here. We, we've already discussed Moses' biggest issues 
right? Like, I'm not talented. I've got no skill. I have no ability. And, it, and we focus on, like, it's all about perspective. All Moses was looking at was, was himself. That's all he could see in the situation. He's like, all I can see is how I'm not the man for this job. And we talked about the importance. We even talked about some of the Hebrew words there, like Hanini, where it says, like, you know, here am I, right? And what that really means. It's like, I am available for you, God, to use me, whatever way you want to. And I think so many of us are just, that's the thing we like, right? God's presence is overwhelming. We're like, hey, I'm here. Use me, God. And then God says, well, I want to use you in this way. And we're like, mm, you don't have another way? <laughs> you don't want to use me in a different way that's better and more suited for my liking? Moses continues to struggle because his eyes are constantly on himself. Forty years in the wilderness. And we talked about this a little bit this morning in our small group, but 40 years of wilderness, which is a time of preparation. It's a time of training. It's often tied and symbolized as a time of growing closer to the Lord, and he still can't get his eyeballs off of himself. And that's why he continues to bring up all these fears and doubts, right? He starts out, well, well uh, who are you? Well, I'm Yahweh. Well, who am I? Well, I'm going to use you because I'm Yahweh. I made you. Well, they won't listen. Well, that's okay. Well, they didn't see you. And now, well, I have a stutter. Maybe. So I, the, one of the most common readings of this passage is that Moses has a stutter. Now, I'm going to go ahead and warn you. It's a really good chance it's wrong. And it's not because I'm smarter than you or anything like that. Don't, don't take that because I'm not. Okay, I'm just a big dumb idiot like you. And I'm, probably a month ago, I would have told you he had a stutter. Okay? Um, I've just been very blessed because there's people who are really smart and I get to read about them. And so, uh, in my studies, I have found some interesting things. Um, first, though, I want to point you to why we might think otherwise. I want to point you to Acts 7.22, okay? And this is Stephen. If you don't know who Stephen is, I, can't, I don't have time to explain you, but he's the first guy to die for the gospel. So this, he's important, and he gives this eloquent and fairly lengthy gospel message. He was like the first, like, hell and brimstone message we have in the Bible. It's awesome. But in there, he talks about Moses. And he says, So Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in his speech and actions. Now, what's confusing is, is that that is the exact opposite of what Moses just said. So is Moses a liar? Is the Bible lying? Like, what's going on here? They seem contradictory. And I bring this up because I've seen this, and you see lots of things on the Internet today, but used on the Internet as an, uh, just another example of, oh, well, the Bible's contradictory. And I'm like, that's, that's ridiculous. But I'm going to show you why. And I think this also is a key point to remember. This is why it's so valuable. Don't get hung up on what translation Bible you have. I use a CSB because it's, it's, it's an easier read, and it's about as close to the middle of the road as you can get. That's why I like it personally. I have like eight other Bibles, and I have access to like 100 other Bibles. And on any given week, I read 10 to 12 different variations of every passage. Because everybody translates different. We're all coming from the same words, though. But those words in Greek and Hebrew, Aramaic, they don't translate well, man. I don't know. Like, we can't even translate Spanish words well. Like, you can't imagine what a dead language translates into, right? And one of the words here that's really interesting is really a phrase. And in here, we miss it. Like, you just miss the whole thing. Because it doesn't make any sense. And it's the statement that Moses makes at the end. He says, because my mouth and my tongue are sluggish. Now, if you have like an old school KJV, you, he says something completely different. 
In fact, the KJV says something like this, heavy of tongue. And man, every Bible scholar for like 100 years was like, oh, that's a speech impediment. That man's got a stutter. He does, he's stuttering up. He's just a stutterer. And he's using his physical limitations to limit God. Now, this is debatable. But here's the thing. Anytime you see a word that's rarely used or a phrase that's rarely used in the Bible, you need to try to say, hey, well, is it used anywhere else in close to a context? And guess what? This one is. This is actually used in a, a whole different section of the Bible. It's used in the prophets. And the word that we're actually looking at is a word called Lashon. I didn't put it up here this week, so I just saved you the Hebrew and just gave you the word. Lashon is how we would pronounce it. But it's used in a whole other place. It's actually used in Ezekiel. And this is God speaking to Ezekiel, and he says, For you are not being sent to a people of intelligible speech or a different language, but to the house of Israel. Guess what word in there is the word Lashon? It's the exact same word to a T. And I triple checked because I was like, my eyeballs was tired and I was like, I don't know if I'm seeing this right. It's definitely the same word. It's language. That tripped me up. It tripped me up. Now this could mean a couple of things. One, it might actually mean that Moses is saying, I can't speak the language. Well, that's crazy. Moses is a Jewish man, right? Like he's the father of the, like he's like the father of the Exodus and like the Israelites, he's supposed to lead the Israelites out. So there have been some theories. Like One was like, well, maybe 40 years in the desert. You know, uh, perhaps Moses was worried that his Egyptian was rusty. You know what I mean? You go 40 years not doing something. Language isn't a bike. <laughs> you know, they don't, you can forget some words here and there. And maybe he's worried, like, man, I can't speak that Egyptian so good. But I want you to note, too, that he also says in the past, which is weird, because like in the past he would be good at speaking the Egypt, right? Like, he, he was raised inside of a royal household. He was educated. We saw where Stephen was like, look, man, this guy's he's, he's powerful in the way he spoke. In reality, something we might actually have to consider, something that, that seems more probable than anything else, is that Moses probably didn't speak Hebrew. I know. I, took, I wrestled with that one. I was like, there's no way. But there's a lot. And we can't cover all of it, so I'll give you the points that matter. Think about this. One, where was he raised? Well, this man was raised in a palace. For 40 years, it says, he was raised as the heir to the throne of Egypt. Now, whether we know if he's the heir or not, we do know he was definitely raised in there, and he was educated as an Egyptian. And what do Egyptians speak? Not Hebrew. Just a, just a tidbit. They don't speak the Hebrew. They speak Egyptian. It's a whole different language. And even though there's a chance that his mother may have taught him, we also know that if you don't use a language a whole lot for 40 years and then you don't use it again for another 40 years, that's 80 years of not speaking a language. Second thing, I've taken Hebrew. Whoa, I don't like it. It's hard. It's so hard. It is super hard. I took it for a whole year, and I still struggle to read it. Like I, could, like I have to have like a dictionary and the Internet on top of everything. It's just a hard language because I'm unfamiliar with it. It's completely different than any of the, what we consider like the, the Greek-related languages. It's just very different. And it's different from the Egyptian language in a similar way. It's just the sentence structure, how we, all of it's just so different. Of all the excuses that Moses actually uses, this one kind of starts to make sense when you go, oh, because what did God ask Moses to do? 
at first, it's easy. We immediately go, oh, well, he told him to go talk to the, the Pharaoh. But if you go back and look, no, he doesn't. You know what he says? He tells him, you're going to go to the elders of the Israelites, and you're going to tell them what I told you. I said, oh, man, I didn't think about that. So he's supposed to go to these people who do speak Hebrew. He's supposed to go to them and tell them all the things that God has just told them, and he doesn't speak of the language. He, he, he just, he doesn't, he doesn't speak Hebrew. And here's the thing, like, <laughs> in Moses' head, and, and mind you, we get it. Like, he's, man, he's making excuse after excuse, and it's like, golly, at some point God's going to get frustrated, right? But look what God says to him. I mean, this, this response is so good. This response needs to remind us of how good God is. I'm going to point you to 11 and 12. It says, the Lord said to him, who placed a mouth on humans? First off, if you don't think God has a sense of humor, he does. He's hilarious. All right, like this ironic comment right here. This is the height of sarcasm. Who put mouths on humans? Who makes a person mute or deaf, the seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. There's a lot in this passage. I mean, there are some, there's some nuances here that we just can't, time will not permit us to go into. But there's some really awesome things that we can take from this passage. And, and the first is that it reminds us, first and foremost, that God is all-powerful. That comment, even though it's hilariously sarcastic, for the creator of the earth going like, didn't I give you a mouth? Like, wasn't I the guy that was like, you know, mouths are a great idea. That's going to be a key component to human beings is a mouth. He is the one who creates. And even in the things that we might see as difficult, unfortunate, etc., God is not just absent or uninterested in the lives of those who struggle with physical or mental disabilities. I spent years teaching and working with special ed students. My dad was a special ed teacher, so pretty much since I've been in high school, I've had some connection working with students with disabilities. And I can tell you firsthand that God's image is just as well born on them as it is anyone else. We have a really hard um, thought process that we have to go through with this idea, because so many of us this same justification is the same justification we use to support you know, pro-life and, and, and anti-abortion type movements. But I don't think most of us get this idea because we just take it for surface level. right? But if you were to sit down and go, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? It means that we are image bearers. And that has nothing to do with our cognitive state. That means this is how God made us. And as we are, we will bear his image. We will shine his light as we are whether I have use of my whole body or not, whether I have use of my you know, entire intellectual cap uh, capability. That is not the definition of it. And that is hard for us to accept. It is. I have sat with parents who are having to accept the responsibility of caring for somebody for the rest of their life. And it's hard because it's not what they saw happening. And it's hard to see God's goodness in the midst of that. But when we can accept that reality of this is how God made this person because his image is still being borne out through this person. So how do I love them? How do I care for them? How do I take this difficult moment with this person and show God's good graces? Because God's still in control. 
even in the things that we think don't make sense. He's not disinterested. And so if we can believe that God is good and he's all-powerful, then we must believe that he's also engaged and that it's important and that he is still in charge and that he loves people as they are, deaf, blind, mute, it doesn't matter. It doesn't affect how he loves them and how they are made in his image. The second part is spiritual blindness, deafness, and dumbness, and that these things are far worse than any physical disability. That is exactly how the Jewish tradition reads this. This is not a question to them of, is God powerful and creator of all things? This is more along the lines of those who refuse to believe in God. And what's interesting is, mind you, this is happening in the midst of someone denying God. There's some huge irony going on right now. There is a man whom God has appeared to him, has told him who he is, has expressed his will, and the guy's going, oh, I don't want to do that. Like, in the midst of that, God's also using this moment to express to him his power, his ability to open the ears, the eyes, and the mouth of those who don't believe. It's going to be really interesting because soon we're going to come across one of the hardest statements for a lot of people to accept in the Bible, which is about Moses' heart being hardened. It's going to pop up a couple of times. And a lot of people wrestle with this. Like, oh man, does that mean God like made him not like him? And we'll study all that when we get there. But I want you to understand this is such a huge thing for us to wrap our head around is that God is working in the hearts of us. If we have any desire to know God, any desire at all, that that's a God thing happening. That's a God thing moving. We naturally don't gravitate to who God is. Like, we have to wrap our heads around that. <laughs> Common misstatement. I've said it myself. Like, man, yeah, like I found Jesus. Well, Jesus found you. <laughs> Way more than you found Jesus. You accepted Jesus. You submitted to Jesus. You followed Jesus. But Jesus found you. He's the one who moved. The Holy Spirit was already turning inside of you, creating something there of desire to be back with him. And it's a theological depth that we have to understand. And, and God's showing that, teaching that, expressing that, both to Moses and the Israelites and now to us. This is a thread that will work its way through. And it's a warning and a condemnation for those who don't believe. Because where God is calling, he's already working. He didn't call Moses and then be like, all right, now we're just gonna, we're gonna figure this out from here. He's not like me, okay? Like he, he has a plan and he has already put everything in motion. He didn't wait till the last minute. God's plan is already well acted. You're not gonna get a text that morning and be like, hey, some things changed. Um, <laughs> God already knew it happened. <coughs> but what we do see is Moses does make one statement. That finally brings God to his end. Because Moses said this, Please, Lord, send someone else. Now, out of the translations, this is my favorite. Because it's straightforward. The KJV, it's like lengthy. It's like long words. It's like, you know, if there would be anyone else that you would choose to do this. And it's like, no, nah, man, like I just don't want to do this. Um, we actually talked about this some yesterday. You know, Moses complained a lot about his ability. But you know what the greatest ability is? This is and this is availability being available you know that word we we talk about that hanini word right that's what that really means it's like i am available for the lord 
I make myself available to God. And Moses was all about that for a minute. For a minute, he was all about, hey, I'm available, God. Use me. I, I see your presence. It's amazing. You call my name, Hanini. And then now he's like, I'm not available. Send someone else. And we see something interesting, and we, we have to wrap our head around it because the next statement says, then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. Uh, some other translations say the word like kindled, but they all say anger. The Lord is angry. And, uh, you know, I know that <laughs> for some of us, like, what does that mean? Like, uh, we love to hear about God's goodness and about God's love, his grace, his rest, his peace. We love that. But man, we struggle. We run from that idea about God being angry. That's not a comfortable place for us to sit. It makes us squirmy. makes me itchy to think about it. But you see, God does feel. We know that because, one, what is love? Is that not an emotion? Right? The things we feel? We know that because we see it in Hebrew where it says we serve a chief um, priest who knows what we feel. He has experienced it. God has emotions. Here's the thing, though. Just as we experience hurt, frustration, anger, love, so forth, God does too. But God does not act from them. He's able to hold them holy. Now, I don't know how that works. Like, I'd be the first one to tell you. It's like, I have an idea, but it's vague. But then again, we are talking about somebody that, like, doesn't exist in our plane of existence. You know what I mean? Like, lives outside of time, space, and matter. So, like, yeah, I'm probably not going to get all that. But I do know that God made us in his image, and with his image, he made us certain ways that resemble him. And one of those ways is loving other people. We know that. We have no problem accepting that. So clearly, we have to accept that on the other end of that is anger. And God does get angry. But here's the difference. When I'm angry, the Lord equates it, Jesus has equated that to murdering my friend, murdering my you know, enemy or whoever it would be that I feel anger toward. When God gets angry, look what he does. He gets angry and he goes, well, isn't Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And also he's on his way now to meet you. And he will rejoice when he sees you. So God gets angry and he provides. He makes a way. What's wild is, don't miss that statement, he is on his way. That means he was already on his way. That means he was already making his way to Moses. Now, mind you, it is God's well aware of what Moses can and can't do. God is well aware that Moses doesn't speak Hebrew or has a stutter, whatever thing it is, right? He's well aware. Moses, you haven't been in Egypt in 40 years. You probably barely remember how to get there. Like, I know this. So I'm already sending someone to you. But Moses' desire to avoid being in God's will, his broken human state, pushes God to a point where he's like, all right, man, now this isn't going to go the way I want it to. God had ordained Moses to be his mouthpiece. He wanted Moses to handle the things that he wanted to handle. He wanted Moses to talk to the elders, not Aaron. He wanted Moses to want to be leading the forefront to Pharaoh, not, not Aaron. And what's funny is, by the time we get to the seventh plague, guess who's doing all the talking? Moses. He figures it out. 
But because of Moses' stubbornness and his hard-headedness, as I tell my children, you do dumb things, you win dumb prizes, his dumb prize would be Aaron. Now, there are some people who've turned this part of the passage into a wonderful story about, you know, friendship, fellowship, being able to go farther with somebody, and that's great. You know what, though? I'm not, I don't feel that route because I'm going to be honest with you. Um, you know what Aaron did? Well, Aaron's eventually going to create a golden calf and let people worship it. That's great. Um, Aaron's family, his sons, are going to offer up false and unworthy sacrifices. That's great. Thanks. That's fantastic. And eventually, Aaron himself would lead a revolution, a revolt against Moses. Like, this is wild. This is his brother, by the way. This is crazy. So this help that Moses thought he had to have, right? This, I got, I got to have something. Like, send somebody else. Anybody else, don't send me. He still ends up going. But now he's got a headache. He's added on his own dumb consequences. Moses' inability to trust God would eventually lead to these negative consequences down the road. And I mean, for us, man, like, I, I don't know about you, but I take that as a warning. I take it as a warning. Man, when we're just so stubborn, when we're so resistant to what God's calling us to, that we're just like, man, I'm going to do, God's going, all right. He's going to let us walk into some of our own consequences. And just because we can find forgiveness, because we see God forgive Moses, we see that he has patience with him, we see that he, he still allows Moses to lead the people out of Israel. And he does all these countless miracles through, and through him, for him. Moses is still stuck with some of those real-world consequences because now Aaron has far more power than he ever needed. Moses was supposed to be the representative. Moses was supposed to be the mouthpiece of God, not Aaron. Because God trusted Moses. God knew Moses. He understood what he was capable of. He knew the kind of man he was. He could see his heart. He didn't trust Aaron. That's why he didn't go to Aaron. But he understood what Moses needed and what Moses was going to be able to do. And after all of this, after this entire chapter of complaining and whining and eventually just throwing his hands up and refusing, Moses submits. You know, Moses is really good after the fact. Like, if we think back when he murdered that Egyptian and then he runs off, the next time he has an opportunity to do the right thing, he does. You know? So he's really good after the fact. And, and he's like that over and over again. Like, this is his pattern. He was a faithful man. He makes a mistake, then he tries to fix the mistake. You know, he learns from it. Unfortunately, he just continues to pattern. It doesn't seem like he really learns. But here we see that he does something important. He goes and it says that he went and talked to his father-in-law, Jethro. And he tells him, please let me return to my relatives in Egypt and see that they're still living. And Jethro says, go in peace. You got to remember, Jethro's his father-in-law, and Moses' job was to be the overseer of his sheep. That's a pretty big deal. And, he, and Jethro had given Moses everything. He gave him a place to sleep, a job, food, a wife, and eventually he had a kid for him. Like, I mean, this is, Moses owes it all to Jethro. And thankfully, this isn't the end of him and, his, and Jethro's relationship. And so he does do something. But what's important, too, is he left out some things. Like, why wouldn't you tell him, like, hey, man, um, I saw God in the, in the wilderness. And uh, I need to go to, go to Egypt. Like, he just left that out and was like, I hope, I hope Jethro's okay with this. It's so interesting because Moses is like the most reluctant person. You know? and, and, and I'll be honest with you, like, if we think about this, 
this is like the worst person for God to have picked, right? Like, can we not go start agreeing like, man, God, like, what were you doing here? Like, this guy's a murderer. He's a felon. He's reluctant. He's not really honest. He's starting to lie a little bit, which we already knew he did that because he murdered somebody and then lied about it. Like, is this Moses really the best choice? Like, we, but that's what God, God uses crooked sticks to draw straight lines every day. Every day. And think about this. This is what's so amazing. This is God's book to his people. This is his words to his people. He could have, like, we could have gotten a way better picture of Moses, right? Like, how many times have we watched uh, some type of historical documentary, and it's written in a very nice light? Like, you're like, I think that person's a great human being, you know? And then you start digging going, oh, maybe not so much. Maybe that documentary wasn't written. And you start finding these things out, right? You start discovering the, the real person behind the image that was given up. And I think that's important because the Bible's very transparent. That these are not great men. These are men made great by God, by his goodwill, by his pleasure. And so we see that he prepares to leave. He returns to Egypt. And, and God says one more thing to him as he's preparing to leave. He says, return to Egypt for all the men who wanted to kill you are dead. And Moses took his wife and his sons, and he put them on a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took God's staff in his hand. Now, we talked about that earlier, about God's rod last week. I don't know if you were here for that cool saying, but you can, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get it copyrighted any day now. So Moses' staff now is God's staff. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. From now on, that will be God's staff, not Moses'. Moses is now God's representative. And though he was reluctant and hard-headed and had every excuse, eventually he submitted. Eventually he finally was like, all right, God. Now, let's be honest. How many of us are like that? I will raise my hand. If I had extra arm length, I would raise it higher because that is me. Like, you can ask my wife. Like, my resistance to God's will, it's like it, it has been just amazingly stubborn. Um, and, and just the reality of, like, because what God calls us to is so difficult. Like, it's not like it's an easy thing. Like, we, we would like to think that, man, I, if God had asked me to go to Egypt, I'd have been, I would have already been on a camel halfway there, you know? But the reality is, is God wouldn't ask us that. He would ask us something that we would hate and, and think would be the worst idea ever. You know, for me, the biggest moment for, for my life, the first time I really had to do that was, was leaving coaching. Because my whole life, I had been a football player or a football coach. It was who I was. I was my identity. And, and I, you know, I was following. I was faithful to who God had been calling me to. I was studying. I was learning. I was doing all the right things, right? I was taking all the steps. But God wasn't satisfied from where I was. And he had something different for me. He wanted something more from me. And man, I just, I couldn't wrap my head around it. I just, I'm being honest. Like, I was like, ah, are you sure that's a good plan? Like this, that doesn't sound like a good plan. That doesn't sound like something I'd want to do. I, I want to, why can't you just use me as a coach? Why, why can't you just use me where I'm at? Why do I got to leave everything I know behind? Why do I got to leave all my comforts? Why do I got to leave all my security? Why do I got to leave my identity? And that was what it was. Because all my comforts and all my identity wasn't in God. The same thing here with Moses. Man, Moses is satisfied. 
He's comfortable in Midian. He's safe in Midian. And God's like, I, you need to go back to Egypt. Because I'm your comfort. I'm your identity. When you ask who are you, I am the one who made you. So I know exactly who you are. And I know exactly what you're meant for. And I want to put you in that position. And so many times we find ourselves on the other end of that. And God's so good to Moses in this moment because he reminds him, even as he's preparing to go back, say, hey man, I know you're worried about, even before Moses even said, he's like, I know you're worried about those people who wanted you dead. They're not there. They're gone. It's one less thing you've got to worry about. God knows even our deepest fear even before we can voice them. Even before we can get them out of our mouth. What's great is we begin turning this page of this chapter and we wrap up next week uh, in this series for the time being. We're going to see the demands of someone who, that's been called. But I think it's so important that we remind ourselves as we go to apply this, as we go to think about like, all right, what is God telling me to do in my life? Is that God is working on both ends. He's working on both ends. Oftentimes we struggle because all we can see is what's on our end. And to be honest with you, we're very rarely given a full glimpse of what God really has in store. Very rarely do we get called to the top of the mountain and look out and see for long, long ways. A lot of times there's a lot of hairpin turns, right? A lot of blind alleys that we're just getting ready to walk down. And we just, all we can see is the next step and sometimes not even that. But we know that we're supposed to take it. And we get worried because what we can't see and what we know about ourselves and all the internal focus that we have prevents us from moving forward. But we have to remember that on the other end of that, God is moving. Sometimes we have to walk through hard stuff. Sometimes we walk through wonderful valleys. But the reality is, is that if we fail to, call the, to, to follow through with the call of God, we are going to find misery. That is what's there for us. Misery and God's anger. We see two places today that we saw that. First, we saw that those who were deaf, dumb, and blind, right? Those who refused to believe, refused to heed to the call of God, refused to acknowledge what God was doing in their life. The second is that we see that, that, that refusing God, to be unavailable to God, inspires anger in him. I don't know about you, that's not a vision I would like. I don't, want to make God, I don't want to think about an angry God. God has a plan for us, and he is working that plan out as we speak today, on our end, but on the other end as well. And so as we close, that's the thing that we're called to, to go out, to pursue God's will, to trust that on the other end he's doing something. He's already moving someone, something in our lives, and that's what our call is. It's far more than just being comfortable in Midian. And we live in a culture of comfort. That's what we live in. That is our greatest obstacle to doing God's will today. It's because we're comfortable. We're comfortable in our relationships. We're comfortable in our life. We're comfortable in what we have going on socially. And God is always going to call us out of that. So the question really becomes, will you submit? Will you make yourself available? I'm going to have the worship team come up. And as we get ready, we're going to close. I pray that this week you'll put that in place. That you'll begin asking those hard questions of what do I need to do, God? What are you calling me to? And for some of us who are struggling more with 
I know what you want me to do. I don't really want to accept it. I pray that you would be encouraged to take that step in faith. Let's bow our heads. Thank you for listening to the River's Edge Church Podcast. We want to encourage you to like and follow so that we might reach others with God's good news. You can hear more messages like this at www.theriversedge.church. Have a blessed week. Thank you.